Welcome back everybody to the Luke Beasley Show. I hope you're doing wonderful on this Friday. We have made it through another week and have lots to discuss. Let's go ahead and jump into our first story. Hurricane Ian has ravaged through Florida and now has made landfall in South Carolina. So we're going to discuss kind of the political response to this and how a lot of people on the right are hearing the conversation being brought up from the left about climate change in relation to this hurricane and around the topic and they're saying don't politicize this that's a bad thing to do um so we're gonna discuss that we're gonna look at sean hannity and then i'll give you my thoughts but first just to give a little bit of information about the actual hurricane itself uh, hurricane ian made landfall in south carolina friday as a category one storm after leaving a path of catastrophic damage across southwestern and central florida the national hurricane center said ian which re- regained hurricane status after a brief span as a tropical storm made landfall near georgetown south carolina with maximum sustained winds of 85 miles per hour in florida the scope of devastation from the storm was starting to become clear as rescue missions continued and power and water outages persisted new images on friday show extensive wreckage and disastrous flooding state emergency officials announced 21 deaths as of friday morning however they're still not sure if all are directly uh, related to the storm so that's just preliminary. Obviously, it's going to take a second to actually get a full sense of the effect of the storm. Here is Biden um, speaking to this. And then again, we will look at Sean Hannity and discuss some political elements. And as you all know, the situation in Florida is far more devastating. We're just beginning to see the scale of that destruction. It's likely to rank among the worst of the nations and the worst in the nation's history. You have all seen the tele- seen on television, homes and property wiped out. It's going to take months, years to rebuild. And our hearts go out to all those folks whose lives have been absolutely devastated by this storm. Absolutely. So it may rank among the top uh, hurricanes in the United States. At least that's what uh, that's what people are speculating, which is absolutely wild. And as he said. We absolutely are thinking about the people of Florida and as it enters into South Carolina, um, them as well. Okay, so then here is Sean Hannity saying something we hear quite often whenever certain disasters or crises uh, arise. And within the conversation around that type of event, people will start talking about what is the root cause or what should be thought of thought of in relation to this. Uh, what discussion should we have in light of this thing? And we'll hear the refrain often from people who don't want those subjects to come out. Uh, don't politicize a tragedy, right? Uh, so you hear this when mass shootings happen. A lot of times Republicans will say, don't politicize this by talking about gun control. And I've talked about before, no, the best time, the most uh, honest time, I mean, it should be always, but is around a conflict or event in which uh actions that could have been taken could have prevented that very event right because we can't just talk about what actually happened we should talk about how do we prevent something bad from happening now it's very different with weather events because there is a true fact that you cannot say that a particular weather event would or wouldn't have happened if uh, climate change was less severe you just can't do that but what you do know is that the uh we're seeing evidence that the sheer uh, devastation and severity of weather events are getting to a much larger extent, right? 
climate change is causing weather events to um, be more devastating and more severe. So here's Hannity saying, don't politicize it by talking about that. Just simply tell the truth that the president is and has been for a long time a cognitive wreck, and our country is facing crises on multiple fronts uh, uh, as a result, although according to the left, Biden cannot be held liable for any disaster. Now, according to them, every crisis that's caused by climate change. Naturally, this week, they were once again politicizing even the weather. We've had hurricanes all throughout our history, but this one is, of course, has to be politicized. Take a look. So, um, again, if anyone's saying that this particular hurricane is the effect of climate change, that's not a true statement because you can't, uh, you know, draw a direct line between one event and climate change. That's just not how it works. But what you can say is, wow, we're seeing that weather events are getting more severe and, um, one of the things he talks about in his longer segment was, see, they tried to politicize this, just like how they politicized the file, uh, wildfires in California. And it's crazy because, no, the rising temperatures and the more uh, ec- the extremes being brought more dramatic to both sides is causing situations where we have those devastating wildfires, we have more devastating hurricanes and in uh, many other weather event areas as well. It is the truth. Um, here's a little bit, just a very, very short kind of summary of that. Major hurricanes are by far the world's costliest natural weather disasters, in some cases causing well over $100 billion in damage. There's now evidence that the unnatural effects of human-caused global warming are already making hurricanes stronger and more destructive. The latest research shows the trend is likely to continue as long as the climate continues to warm. Um, so there's tons of research, and I'll put this entire article in the a description around this. You guys understand it. And so then the only question is, what is the appropriate nature of talking about that during a crisis? And to me, you can only do so much discussion around what is happening in that very moment. You should cover every aspect of it, of course. That's important. But I think it's fair to say, is there a way that we could prevent so many of these or is there anything we're doing that are causing these to become more extreme or whatever it is i think that's completely appropriate uh to bring up around this conversation for sure let me know if you agree uh in the comments and we will continue to follow the hurricane very closely gavin newsom is someone who recently i think has really leaned into an ability he already kind of had uh, to more effectively communicate and aggressively articulate uh, specifically about the threat of the right wing, okay? Um, I think we see a lot of Democrats who still have the mindset of kind of 1980s politics, be super civil, we're all friends at the end of the day. And while I wish that was the case, this is too real of a moment to prioritize that over being honest and clear about the threat that is posed and specifically to our democratic process as well as just generally the bad govern govern governing and um, policy making or lack thereof of the current republican party okay so he's really really good at this and he raises a very interesting point in this uh msnbc interview that i want to discuss and it absolutely is universally true about so many issues Take a look. 
it's not just a messaging problem, but a messaging problem that has persisted with our party for years and years, constantly. So he's saying the Democrats have a messaging problem, and he brings up a specific uh, topic that is fascinating. On the defense, we allow these culture wars to take shape, and we consistently are on the back end of them. Eight of the top 10 states with the highest murder rates, all are Republican states. How do Democrats not know that? In fact, it's really nine out of 10 Georgia went for Biden, but it's really a Republican state, or at least a red state. Eight out of 10, and we're losing that message? Crime is higher, as well as taxes here for the average uh, citizen in Texas. It's higher crime, higher violent crime and property crimes than in the state of California. 67% higher gun death rate in Texas. Why don't we push back? It's not just a messaging problem. Okay, so first we'll address the overarching point and then dive into the specifics of um, crime that he that he brought up. So, yes, the Democratic Party loses on messaging seven days a week, it seems, or we'll say six days a week. Maybe sometimes they, they pull through. But most of the time, the word he used was they're on defense. They're always having to respond to the latest culture war that has been brought up by the right. And then they have to play on the battleground that the right has laid out for them, right? And so because of that, you don't really get to clearly tell your story if you're constantly fighting someone else's. You know what I mean? Like if someone else is running a narrative and you're just trying to fight back against that, you can't make clear to people what narrative and what story and what message you believe in, right? Um, and so because of that, the Democrats come off a lot less, uh, effective and they come off a lot less likable or, um, you know, good to the average voter because all they see, not all they see, but much of what they see is the Democratic Party fighting back pretty ineffectively against the culture war or the latest battleground that the right wing has chose, uh, chosen to lay out for everyone. And so, it's so such a good point, and I think Gavin Newsom calling that out and then following it up with an example that is something people definitely aren't aware of uh, broadly in the country is very, very good. So let's get to that point. A lot of times we hear Republicans talk about, oh, these Democrats are allowing crime to be crazy. And now, lately, there is some specific cases of DAs or um, mayors or particular people in particular areas who are Democrats who have um, policies that I disagree with taking it a little too far. I think they're not addressing the the root cause. Okay. When it comes to crime. But for the most part, the lies that are told about the, the way in which Democrats want to handle crime is so upsetting or they are so upsetting. And it definitely hurts Democrats and gives people a sense that it's the Republicans who really care about fighting crime. But as he rose, the top 10 states that have the highest crime rates, there's only two out of those that are Democratic states that have, um, you know, are went Democrat in the presidential or even it follows much the same in the governor that they have as well. So take a look at this. He arose um or he spoke about the murder rate specifically and then here's just crime generally 
New Mexico, Louisiana, Colorado, South Carolina, Arkansas, Oklahoma, Washington, Tennessee, Oregon, Missouri. So those are the top 10 with the highest crime rates. Oregon and Colorado would be the only ones you would say blue, right? Incredible. I don't think people are aware of that, but all of the highest, you know, eight out of the 10 of the highest crime um, states are run by Republicans and go Republican in the presidential. And people don't know that. And I love that Gavin Newsom's bringing that up. And that's an example that the Democratic Party needs to be just as aggressive. Now, bring facts. Don't lie, as we see so often. Bring the facts. Be honest. But then go hard. Be aggressive. And that's the way you're actually going to win on some of these things. It's not just about the policies you have. You have to have um, amazing policies. And I wish the Democrats had better policies. Um, but then when you know you're in the right on those compared to the, uh, the alternative, then you got to aggressively message and make that happen in the outward facing world because that matters so much in politics. New York Times uh, reporter Maggie Haberman, as we've talked about a lot, is putting out a new book. And we have another moment here uh, to look at that's pretty uh, not surprising when you think about the behavior of Donald Trump, but it is still not a good thing for a president to have done. And I think it absolutely highlights what we've talked about before that Okay, this whole, oh, it's the, the right that actually cares about the freedom of speech and the freedom of the press and all that type of stuff, and it's the left too super censorious, doesn't seem to be true. Now, a lot of people on the left are very censorious, you know? Uh, you talk about cancel culture, I hate that term, I feel like it's used too much and incorrectly, but you know what I'm talking about, and there are a lot of people on the left who try to utilize the tool of um, censoring people to get to where they want to go. Okay, but that's not someone who's in power trying to go after um, someone for their freedom of speech. Trump did that. Trump did that. Take a look at this. New York Times reporter Maggie Haberman reports in her book Confidence Man uh, out Tuesday that former President Trump had threatened internally to go after her phone records to expose leakers. Quote, Trump, angry about my published stories, would bellow that he wanted administration officials to obtain my phone records and identify my sources, Haberman writes. It did not appear that anyone ever acted on it. Um, and then Axios highlights, why does this matter? News organizations go to great lengths to prevent the government from seeing their communications, in part to protect the identity of sources who help expose what's really going on. Uh, New York Times columnist Frank Bruni says, Donald can't quit Maggie, which pretty much sums it up. Trump, in the course of giving Haberman three interviews for this book, told AIDS, I love being with her. She's like my psychiatrist. Oh my God. <laughs> that is so sad. She's like my psychiatrist. Oh, Trump's obsession. He has called her uh, Maggot Haberman and tweeted in 2018, Maggie Haberman, a Hillary flunky, knows nothing about me and is not given access. Um, and then it goes on to continue to talk about their uh, relationship and the fact that even though he says stuff like that, he um, he still gives her access to him and conversations with him. So much of this is exposed 
through uh, reporting she's doing with those around Trump, right? So it's not Trump himself, but he also gave her three conversations and they talked and apparently he really loved it. So that's kind of the second less important tidbit that he just can't quit her as that one uh, guy said, excuse me, and uh, feels the need to chat with her because it helps him you talk about his emotions, which good, that's good. I think everyone should have a therapist. It probably just shouldn't be someone who has the job of publishing what you say, <laughs> right? Um, but to the most important point, he wanted to go after Maggie Haberman and try to expose her sources. He wanted, quote, administration officials to get access to her phone records so he could expose her sources because he didn't like what she was reporting about him. And as it highlights in that article, the practice of keeping your sources private, especially from the government, is crucial to journalism. Otherwise, we wouldn't be able to get any information about what's going on in our government because no one would feel comfortable sharing it from within. And so it's so important that they're able to do that and know that their name won't get out there. And so he was trying to utilize the power he had, have administration officials use the access uh, and resources they have to reveal the sources that Maggie Haberman was using to try to scare her or the sources away from uh, publishing these stories. Isn't that incredible? Freedom of speech, my butt. That's an actual government official trying to go after someone for their freedom of speech. That's what's going on there, okay? so. Save it, right wing, unless you're going to criticize Trump for using his power or wanting to use his power to go after journalists. I don't want to hear you're crying about how it's the biggest uh, violation of freedom of speech that someone gets taken off of Twitter. OK, I really don't. Um, wild stuff. Maggie Haberman just continues to blow me away, at least with all of these bits of information. Senator Ron Johnson got grilled by a really, really effective interviewer. Um, about his involvement in the fake elector scheme. So to give you some context, um, if you, you've heard about this plenty, I'm sure, but kind of to refresh your memory, there was this plan among Trump allies after Trump lost the 2020 election to get fake electors, meaning that people who aren't actually the ones that the state legislators are sending to Washington to cast their vote for the presidential candidate that the state actually went for, through our election process, those electors are supposed to get uh, counted. They were going to try to send just completely fake ones um, and have that be a justification for Vice President Pence to go, oh, maybe these are the real electors and Trump actually won the state. <laughs> okay. And they had this whole plan of signing kind of fraudulent documents to make this happen. And uh, it didn't end up working. But there's a lot of questions around what was really being attempted because this is real election overturning type behavior. And so everyone involved needs to be pressed on it. And Senator Ron Johnson uh, seems was definitely involved in some form or another. He's trying to make it out to be very, very minor. And um, I'm about to get to an interview he does where he just falls apart during it. Um, as far as his ability to effectively communicate and keep with the narrative he's trying to run, it's hilarious. He can't get his words out properly. Um, he's mumbling and bumbling because I think he knows that he's lying. He doesn't know where to go. Um, so we'll get to that. But it's, it's fascinating to see people who seemed in the moment to be so proud to try to help Trump stay in power. Cause in that moment, 
That was what was most beneficial. Now, try and be like, oh, I was barely a part of it. I don't care. Um, so the, the supposed involvement he did have was his chief of staff was told by a Trump lawyer to get a set of documents to the vice president. And I guess Senator Ron Johnson was going to help do that. And so then Ron Johnson came out and said, ah, no, I, I was told that I was supposed to get these documents to Vice President Pence, but then I heard that Pence actually didn't want them, and so then I didn't give them, and I didn't even know what the documents were. I mean, I barely knew what the documents were. It was, I was, it was a two-minute uh, two thing is what he kept saying. It was just like a two-minute uh, process. I wasn't a part of it. And so then after we watch this, we'll take a look at him getting called out by a colleague. Take a look. Moving on to the alternate slate of electors. Uh, of course, we're going to talk about that. And I know you've said publicly that it's a non-issue what is. happened with the slate electors and your involvement. I, no, I, I, I virtually, you can't, I had no involvement. I received either three texts and I sent two texts or the other way around. I mean, my involve, you know, my, my lack of involvement was seconds worth of texting. But that's but still I, I, involvement. But, but I didn't even know, I was, te- I was texted that, there had something had to be delivered Beep, bop, boop. <laughs> to the vice president. I didn't know what it was, and was there somebody that could help arrange delivery? So then I text. Then I talked to my chief of staff, and he took care of it. We found out that the vice president wasn't accepting anything. He said can't deliver anything. That was the end of story. But if he would have said can, yes, you can't, you can't. You can't call that involvement. But if he would have said, he changed his story a bunch of times because at some point he said that. It was something to do with Wisconsin electors. And then sometimes he says, I didn't even know what it was. So I find it unlikely that you're reached out to and told, I need you to deliver a set of documents for some reason to the vice president, but I'm not going to tell you what that reason is. And then you're like, okay, sounds good to me. Nah, you were told. Yes, go ahead and deliver it, even though you didn't know what it was. what, what, What would you do if you get a call? If you get a call from the president of the United States lawyer, why did you get something to the vice president? But you didn't know what didn't- You go, wait, why are you involving me in this? You're the president of the United States lawyer. I think you're a lot closer to the vice president than me. No, was. Again, you've wouldn't got, you inqu- you've got lawyer, Wouldn't you want you've to inquire got, what something got, is to hand to the vice president of the United States during such a critical anything. time? I didn't hand anything to the president. I wasn't involved. But if I you would have said I wasn't, sure. inv- I wasn't involved. You can make it seem I wasn't involved. Couple texts, a, a few seconds of my time. I couldn't couldn't even remember what my you know what what I had done, which is why it took a little while to piece it all together. But you know, we pieced it all together. I I received. Well, Adam, what's an elector? Where's Wisconsin? What does that mean? Received three texts and I sent two, or vice versa. Was Sean Riley working rogue? Did he go rogue? Was he working? His chief of staff. No, he, he was my new chief of staff. He worked for me earlier. He'd been in the White House. He knew these people. Somebody was asking him to arrange a delivery of something to the vice president. He contacted the people that he knew for the vice president and said, we're not accepting anything. End of story. So he knew what he was doing, even though no one knew what that thing was. There, we, did, we weren't doing anything. We were just, was, were we supposed to deliver something or not? Did the vice president want it? The vice- this is such a bizarre story to go with. Okay, so you were told from the president's lawyer to get a set of documents to the vice president you're just a senator why are you doing this and then you weren't told why and uh you're okay 
Vice President didn't, didn't deliver anything. If you're, it's, I mean, it's, it's a complete non-story. I know the news media is trying to turn it into a story. I know the January 6th committee tried to turn it into a story. They didn't do their due diligence. They didn't, by the way, publish the full text exchange, which shows that the Vice President was expecting this. It was supposed to be delivered some other way. If you're subpoenaed, would you testify? That's speculative. There's nothing to subpoena me about. But if you were, would you testify? The, let, let's see how he answers. Listen, I would, I would probably honor subpoena, sure. Okay, cool. Uh, and there is something to subpoena you about. They're trying to get to the bottom of if you were a part of an attempt to overturn an election. That's a big deal. That's not just the media trying to create a story. That's real stuff. That is you possibly, even if it is just handing off a document, what happened with that document? Right? You were supposed to hand it, Vice President Pence didn't want it. What was that document? Did your chief of staff look at it? Um, was it a plan in relation to it? What was it? Um, and then how much knowledge did you have? All those questions are very important. Um, because again, there was a plan, a hundred percent, we know for sure, to send fake electors to give the justification to keep Trump in power. He lost an election. They're trying to keep him in power. That's a non-military coup right there, trying to be attempted. I know that sounds super hyperbolic, but how else do you describe it? That is what that would have been if Trump had successfully gone through with that plot and stayed in power. So Ron Johnson, however big or small you feel like it was, the fact that you were reached out to, to be in your eyes just a messenger, we're not buying it, but okay, is a big deal. And we need to know all the specifics of that. Um, and one of his, his colleagues is calling him out on that. Look at this. Ron Johnson, lying or incompetent in case of fake elector slate, according to Representative Ron Kind. Representative Ron Kind had harsh words for his Wisconsin colleague, Republican Senator Ron Johnson on Friday, calling for an investigation into his involvement with the state's fake electors in 2020. During a Tuesday hearing, the House Select Committee investigating January 6th revealed that Johnson's chief of staff, Sean Riley, texted Vice President Mike Pence's legislative director in late 2020 about sending an alternate slate of electors from Wisconsin and Michigan that would overturn Joe Biden's victories in the states. Johnson has attempted to deny or distance himself from the situation, recently claiming that he only connected Riley with a lawyer working with Donald Trump's effort to throw out votes in the state. Um, and then it goes on to say that Kind said he's either lying or incompetent, which I agree, and maybe it is him being incompetent, but we've just seen so many people who were knowledgeable and uh, knew what they were doing and were working on behalf of this mission, so that also wouldn't be surprising either, and the story doesn't seem to fit that well. So hopefully the January 6th committee and any uh, surrounding investigations get to the bottom of it because it is important. Um, and we will continue to follow it. Thank you all so much for watching and listening. Have a wonderful weekend. I will see you on Monday.